the rest of us in here, we will be in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 5, uh, starting at verse 15 this morning. And, and we already heard this, Dan just shared this with you a little bit, um, and so I don't need to repeat it all. But as we've moved our way through the book of Ephesians, we've seen um, Paul start off the first half reminding us of the good news that is true for us in Christ of all the wonderful gifts that are bestowed upon us now as those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are incredible and they are wonderful. And now we've moved on to the section of Ephesians that focus on the imperatives, that the focus on how we are now to live as those who are saved. It's, it's not that this is what we're supposed to do to earn God's favor, but this is how we are called to live as children of God. We're to, we're to put off the old, put on the new, We're we're, we're to walk out of the darkness and into the light as children of the light, as we heard last week. We are to walk in in this newness of life that we have. With that in mind, let's hear our, our text for this morning, starting at verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. O Father, we thank you that you are here present with us this day through your Holy Spirit. Would you apply your word to our hearts that we might see Jesus and so that we might grow and mature in our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So so Paul starts off by saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as the unwise. Paul's saying, because of everything that I've already told you, because you were once dead, because you're now alive, because you're new creations, because you're adopted as, as children of God, because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, as we've heard last week, because we are children of the light, because all of that is true, what does Paul say should be true of us? We should look carefully at our lives. We should be, look carefully at, at how we walk. You see, the, the, the grand truths of Ephesians that we've heard about all these wonderful blessings that come to us in Christ, they mean nothing if we just say, oh, well, I can just go on living any way I want. If, if we go on that way, then we have not understood the gospel. We've not been transformed by it. We don't understand what our Savior has done for us. We, we should be constantly and carefully, Paul's telling us, look at the way we walk. And he says, not as the unwise, but as the wise Sometimes I I think we misunderstand wisdom. Sometimes we just think of wisdom as accumulation of knowledge, and whoever knows the most must be the most wise, and and that's not the case. Surely knowledge is very important for wisdom, but it's not the be-all and end-all of wisdom. Wisdom is the way that we apply Scripture through the illumination of the Holy Spirit into our lives. You can think of it as the skills for living. To be wise is to be skilled at living. Being skilled at walking, knowing how to walk and how to walk carefully. There was a gentleman back in the 1980s who found the SS Central America. It was filled with thousands of gold bars and coins. Okay, he, he found this. I mean, through his brilliance and through all you know, science and everything, he was able to find out where this was. And then he got investors 
to invest in him, some $13 million to, to pull up the gold, right? So, I mean, the guy's smart. Not only does he know how to find it, he knows how to get it up. He also knows how to get investors to invest in him. And then what does he do? He runs with it. He takes off with it. He, he, he's able to evade the authorities for 25-ish years, okay? He's very smart. One of the arresting officials said this of him, that he was one of the most intelligent fugitives ever sought by the U.S. Marshals. Incredibly intelligent, able to do all of these things, but this morning, what will we say? Very unwise. He wasn't walking in wisdom. True wisdom comes as we learn the skill of bringing together all of knowledge, and in particular, that knowledge that we find in Scripture, and as we apply it to to every situation in our life, as we learn that beauty of applying Scripture, and Paul gives us a little application in verse 16. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Make the best use of of the time we have. Uh, Other older versions say, redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, the language there of redeeming the time, it's the same language used in Galatians 3.13 where it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse on the tree. Christ redeemed us Paul tells us now to redeem the time. That means as we evaluate our usage of time, it may, in fact, be costly. Even as it was costly for our Savior to redeem us, that maybe we should think of it in this way. As we gather here this morning, okay, there's a lot of people in here that this room right now. A lot of very smart people. Okay? A lot of people that do, have done well in life, a lot of people who today, right now, in these moments, you could be using your time to be making money, couldn't you? In the, in the world's eyes, what we're doing here this morning, in the, in the eyes of, of those in this, as Paul talks about, the, the days are evil, in, in these evil days, in, in the world's eyes, what we're doing right now, it doesn't make much sense, does it? It seems kind of silly that we'd all be gathered here. Couldn't, couldn't our resources be used in a much better fashion than as we gather here this morning? But that's not how wisdom leads us, to, does it? Wisdom says that that way of thinking is folly. That in fact what we are doing here is so important, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but what we're doing here is, is, is so important, it's to be a priority. That's how wisdom leads us, as we redeem the time, right? And that should be the case for us. And that's the case for us as, as maybe if you, you get up early in the morning and you read the scripture to the world, what does that seem like? That seems silly. Why would you be wasting so much time reading a book 2,000 years old? It just seems silly from world's eyes. But from the eyes of wisdom, from eyes of wisdom who, who have allowed the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts through his word, nothing could make more sense in this world. It is the wise path. It's the wise course. We're called to walk in wisdom. Walk as those who who are learning the skills of living through his word as we grow wise through it. Now, there's an amazing verse in Luke chapter 2 concerning wisdom. Maybe you remember it. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Do you see the beauty of that verse? 
that Jesus, in his humanity, grew in wisdom. Not, not that there was a moment where he was less than holy, we're not saying anything like that. But, but that as he moved through his life, Jesus himself, Jesus and his humanity, what did he learn? He, he learned more and more fully how to apply God's word to his life. He learned more and more the skills for living so that by the time he got to his public ministry, what was he able to do in the wilderness? But he was able to sustain the temptations because of the wisdom that he'd grown into. That by the time he gets to the garden, he's able to pray to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. That he's able to to go to the cross the, the next day because he's applying wisdom to his life. That, that, that ultimately, he was able to live out perfect wisdom, a perfect wisdom that, that said that he was willing to disadvantage himself for our advantage. And this is incredibly good news for us, isn't it? And I'd encourage you, if you're here this morning, maybe you haven't embraced Christ. Maybe you're not quite sure what to do with this Jesus thing. I want to encourage you that the one with all wisdom has come. And he didn't come putting himself forth. He, he came and gave himself, gave of his very own self so that we might have eternal life. Encourage you, embrace him. But Jesus, the one who increased in wisdom and stature, he's the example par excellence of of what wisdom really looks like and what are we called to do? We're called to walk in his footsteps. Paul continues telling us what that looks like, what it looks like to apply this wisdom. What does he say? Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, as one who is walking in wisdom, Paul says, don't be foolish. And how, do you, how, how can you be foolish? By failing to understand the will of the Lord. Did you hear that? Now, many of us may hear that, and you may be thinking, well, um, I must be pretty foolish then, because I struggle to know the will of the Lord. But I'd encourage you this morning is, your problem, the difficulty you have in your life is not applying the things that, that Christ has already given you. He's given you everything that you need in order to walk in his ways. Second Timothy puts it this way, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, everything that you need to do. It's all there for you right there in his word through the through the. Illumination of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to know what the Lord's will for you is? 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In fact, as we're going to see this morning, as we continue to see, we'll see more and more of what this, the Lord's will for us is. We, we've, we've already seen as we move through the Ephesians, what is his will for us? To, to put off the old, to put on the new. What is his will for us? To come out of the darkness and to come into the light as children of the light. This is God's word, will for us. It is laid out for us in his word. Everything that you and I need has been given to us in the scripture. And the Holy Spirit has been given to illuminate our hearts so the scripture may be appropriately applied to our lives. Our problem is, I think, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, I think we want something more magical. 
We want something big to happen. We want, you know, we, we moved through the book of Judges, and we looked at Gideon. Maybe you remember him. What did Gideon do? God promised these incredible things to Gideon and how he's going to triumph and all these things. And what did Gideon do? He didn't trust God. And so he tested God and he, he asked for a sign and God consumes the sacrifice. And he wants some more signs because that's still not enough. So God makes the fleece first dry and then wet. Do you remember the story? Then he struggled still to believe. Even after all of these things, after all of these signs, he still struggled to believe. And he only believed when he heard the dreams of a pagan. Then he believed. You see, Gideon isn't a story for us to point to and say, oh, I need to lay out my fleeces, but before God, that's actually a sign of immaturity, not of maturity. I I love the way Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He he says this, that sometimes God does strange things. Sometimes God does strange things. Strange things like the fleece, right? Right? Sometimes God does strange things. Maybe sometimes, and like in my life, sometimes God has done some strange things in your life, right? But Dr. Ferguson puts it this way. No Christian should live their life based on the strange things of God. <laughs> you see, God sometimes does strange things. Extraordinary, that's what I'm talking about, the extraordinary things. The, the fleeces, if you will. Sometimes he'll answer those things. Sometimes he will do those things for him. But he, but he answers those things because of his compassion, for his children, who are so often so immature. You see, you and I, we're called not to live by the fleeces of our life, the strange things. We're called to live off the word of God. He's given us what we need. So if you're a believer and you're here today, he has given you his word and he has given you his spirit. This is God's ordinary means of guiding and directing us. Right? And don't forget, there's kind of another step in here too. And, and in fact, in our passage, we kind of see it because what does he say? But understand. But it's really y'all understand. Okay? He's saying it to the church. Y'all understand what the will of the Lord is for us. Sometimes we need each other. We need the wise around us. Sometimes we need the wisdom of others to help us to speak, to help us decipher how scripture applies to the situation in our lives. Sometimes maybe even you need the elders of the church to help you in the midst of it. And this leads us, all this leads us to what I think is the key point as we're talking this morning. The key point of what it looks like to walk in wisdom and to understand really what God's will for us is. We see it in verse 18. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Really hard question for you. How important is the Holy Spirit in your life? If he were taken away this afternoon or tomorrow, would you even notice? Maybe to ask it another way. As you live your life today, today, this this morning, this afternoon, as you live out your life today, would you prefer that Jesus was present with you as he was present with the disciples? I'm not talking about Jesus whenever he comes again at his second coming. But would you prefer that Jesus was present with you right now as he was with the disciples? Or would you prefer to continue to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? You know what Jesus says? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, are we going to believe the truth that Jesus has for us or not? 
it is to your advantage that I go away. For, I do not go away. for if I do not go away, the helper, that is, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I confess, I, I struggle with the answer to this question too. And Paul, that's why I think Paul's words this morning are for us so important for us. That we make use of Holy Spirit as he's been so, so graciously given to us. Let's look at what Paul says. What does he say? He says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, the language here is, is quite interesting. Um, because, first of all, this is a command. This is something that, that Paul's commanding us to do. It's an imperative. Be filled. Okay? So that's what we're supposed to do. But not only is it a command, it's also a continual thing. It's, it's something that we're supposed to keep on doing. So we're, we're commanded to keep on filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit, okay? But then there's one more step to it. It's also what we would call the passive, and you can even kind of see it in English as well, right? Which means that it, it's not so, so much something that we do, but it's something that we receive, okay? That, that we willingly open ourselves up to continually be filled with the Spirit, And Paul commands us to do that, to continually open ourselves to Holy Spirit. Now, sounds, you know, what does this mean? And this is where, you know, what what does that look like? What what does it mean to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's look at what Paul says. Need to look a little bit of what it's not and and then hopefully see a little bit of what it is too. Look back at verse 18. What does he say? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, many have puzzled over these, this language, like, why, why is drunkenness so connected with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why, why does he use something very specific when he's talking about something much more general? Two points, two, two things I want us to see real quick. First one, we need to understand for what it is. It is a problem. Drunkenness is a sin. And Paul is calling it out. He's calling a spade a spade. He's calling it what it really is. He's calling it debauchery. Debauchery. That is an extreme indulgence in sin, just giving yourself over to sin. That's the first thing. We need to make sure and call it what it is. But then secondly, and I think maybe most important in the reason why Paul uses it here, is to help us to understand what being filled with the Spirit looks like and what it doesn't look like. Okay? Think of the effects of, of drunkenness. Think of somebody pulled over on the side of the road and, and we've seen in shows or whatever, the, you know, the field sobriety test. What are, one of the things they try to get you to do is to walk in a straight line. And if you're drunk, what can you not do? You can't walk straight. And isn't that so appropriate in the context of, of Paul talking about us looking carefully at how we walk? Okay, a drunk person can't walk straight. And Paul's calling us to look carefully at how we walk, that we, that we walk straight. The person who's drunk, they can't think straight. They, they lose control. They have lack of self-control. Sometimes, I think we almost have this idea that, that, that being filled with the Spirit looks like you're drunk, that it looks like somehow lack of control and like Holy Spirit just taking you over like a drunk person. That's not what Paul's saying here. Okay, the, the effects, he, he's not wanting us to see it as a lack of self-control. In fact, it's quite the opposite. To be filled with the Spirit 
is to be the most sober one is capable of being. Being filled with the Spirit produces careful, it produces a careful, a wise person seeking to do the will of God as we saw from the beginning of our passage. Somebody incredibly sober. I think of, think of Stephen. Acts 6, 7, 8. He's described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, what does he do? Lightning bolts don't like fly out of his fingertips or anything. He gets up and he preaches God's word. The most sober one could ever be. Extraordinary, yes, because of the crowd he was preaching to. But at the same time, so incredibly ordinary. As he was pulling forth the word of God for the people so that they might know his Savior, Jesus Christ, who had saved him. Now, so that's a little bit. So it means not, not to lose control, but to have incredible control, incredible soberness. Now, another question might come up. Paul's telling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but does that mean that we're not already filled with the Holy Spirit? I thought we were, if we're in Christ, we're already filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you'd be right. In fact, Paul's already talked about that, hasn't he, in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, he, he, we saw that believers are filled with the fullness of God. We're told back in chapter 1 that we're already sealed with Holy Spirit, right? And we are also told that we are now what? In chapter 2, that we are the dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And similarly, we could look to Romans chapter 8. What does Paul say there? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to them. Okay, so Paul is not saying that we're not already filled with the Spirit. So what is it that's going on here? How is he commanding us to continually be filled with the Spirit? I, I, I think what's going on here is first, what do we need to do? We need to acknowledge that the Spirit is already present. We need to acknowledge that he's already present in our hearts. If you're a believer here this morning, he is already present. He has already set up his dwelling place in you. Do you believe it? And secondly, we need to request that he would begin to do his work. That he would begin to work in us. Richard Lovelace in his book, uh, Dynamics of the... I can't remember it, sorry. Anyway, in wonderful books, I won't try to remember it. I'll stop. He talks about how we in our church today and in our circles, we often fail to recognize the personal nature of Holy Spirit in our lives. We know doctrinally, yes, he exists and yes, he works, but we fail to have him personally work in us, right? He describes it as this. He says, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between a husband and a wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof. The husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, to recognize her presence, and celebrate his relationship with her. Is that you and the Holy Spirit? You taking advantage of his benefits, enjoying the work that he's doing covertly behind the scenes, and yet not recognizing his work amongst you. 
What, what do we do to reverse this? How do, how do we then be filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what, is, what does that look like? Well, we must first, we, we must begin to recognize Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Maybe at the outset of each day. Recognize that the third person of the Trinity resides in your heart. That's no small thing. That's huge. And as we continue, as we, we walk through each day, we, we should do so in, in constant communion with him through his word and allowing Holy Spirit to apply his word to our hearts, allowing him to be the counselor that scripture says that he is, counseling and encouraging us, allowing him to illuminate the, the, the truth, illuminate the glory of Christ before us. Do you know that's part of what Holy Spirit does? Whenever you see Christ in those moments, when you see the wonder of the gospel, do you know what's going on? That's Holy Spirit at work, even if you don't acknowledge it. Isn't that amazing? Even when we ignore him, he's still at work. We should look to him as our teacher, the one who teaches and instructs us, guides us through our life, the one who sanctifies us. Now, we don't like it too much often whenever he does that because often it means confronting us with our sins. That's Holy Spirit at work within us as we're convicted, as we're reminded of our sin and our need to turn back to Christ. And it's Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit that testifies in our hearts, assuring you that if you're in Christ, that you are his child, crying out in your heart, Abba, Father. That's Holy Spirit doing that, R reminding you that the gospel is really true, reminding you of your true standing before God if you're in Christ, that you were dead, that you are alive now, that you have been justified before our great God, and Holy Spirit testifies about that in your heart. Do you believe it? You know that's Holy Spirit that's doing that. He is your helper in the midst of prayer. And he is the one who helps direct and empower us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be witnesses, to talk to that coworker about Jesus. That's Holy Spirit who's involved. I, I fear, and, and these aren't, my words, but I fear sometimes we, we think the sanctification process is a solo act, as something I have to do, that it's a lonely task of the Christian. And what we're failing at that moment is to realize that it involves Holy Spirit at moving and at work in our lives as we personally engage with him. As Paul tells us in Galatians 5.16, what does he say? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire the gratifications of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. We don't walk by ourselves. We do not walk alone. We're able to walk forward because Holy Spirit is at work within us.
This still may lead us to asking the question, well, how do I fill myself with the Holy Spirit? Well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I fear again, kind of like with the will of God, we, we want a magical answer to this question. We, we want magic to just like fall down upon us. And... But remember, God usually works through ordinary means. Does he work through the extraordinary? Sometimes. But God has given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us precisely what we need through these ordinary means to grow in our faith. And Paul, in our passage here, he he shares, then he he moves on, to, to share both the ways that we can intentionally fill ourselves up with the Spirit. And these ways that we intentionally fill ourselves up with, we shouldn't be surprised, they're also fruit of the Spirit. How do we fill ourselves up with the Spirit? Well, part of it is pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. As we pursue the fruit of the Spirit, what do we have? The fruit of the Spirit. What does Paul tell us here, though, in our passage? Verse 19. First thing he tells us to do, by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He talks about the horizontal aspect of what's going on here this morning. As we not just sing to God as lonely individuals like it's just me and God this morning, but as we sing together as a community, in a, in a corporate, corporately together, but not just together, verse, the rest of verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart as, as we, we worship him with all our heart. Paul tells us, you see, that through our corporate worship, our, our worship together, and, our, and singing from our hearts, what happens? It's part of the way we're filled with the Spirit. Just in gathering together this morning, is a crucial way that we are filled up. He gives another way in verse 20. By giving thanks always and and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That regardless, maybe even despite circumstances, what do we learn to do? We, We learn to give thanks. Now this doesn't mean that we're masochists. This doesn't mean that we enjoy pain. But that regardless of circumstances, we trust God's divine hand and his divine plan. We trust knowing that he is truly bringing all things to a good end and that he is using all things, even the difficult and even the hard things of our life for our good. As we give thanksgiving to him, we're filling ourselves with the spirit, filling ourselves with one of the fruits of the spirit. Not just worship, not just thanksgiving, Verse 21, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we are reminded that our Savior, how did Jesus come? What does he say? I I came not to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You and I. We're called to humble ourselves, submitting ourselves to one another, not thinking to our own needs, but to the needs of others. And as we we try these things on, as we try on worship, as we try on thanksgiving, as we try on submitting to one another, what are we also doing? We're we're filling ourselves with the Spirit, with the, the fruit of the Spirit. We're filling ourselves with the Spirit. We're opening ourselves and saying, Holy Spirit, use me. 
move in me, but I fear too often. Maybe and even in these very areas, we resist the Spirit. You know what I mean? Maybe you resist the Spirit by, oh, I'm just really tired this morning, and I don't know if I can make it to church this morning. And we fail to come and gather and worship. We fail to, to utilize this incredible means of filling ourselves up. I'm just not feeling it, or I, I, I don't want people to hear how I really sound, so I'm not going to sing. That's not the call here. That's not how to be filled up. But we, we so often we go in the other direction, or maybe failing to give thanksgiving, failing to thank God for what he's given you, maybe thinking, well, I earned this, I deserve this. Or maybe thinking, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Oh, you do. We all have so much to be thankful for. Or maybe you resist the spirit by not humbling yourself, by thinking mostly about your own needs, your own desires, how you can be filled up, how others can maybe submit themselves to you instead of willingly submitting yourself to one another. You see, what it should look like, filling ourselves, having the, the fruit of those who sing to one another, who sing from our heart, who give thanks always and for everything, submitting ourselves to one another. Or as we read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against these things. There is no law. These things that we are to, to fill ourselves with, this fruit of the Spirit, think about it. Aren't these, in some ways, they're such ordinary things, aren't they? They may not be this magical thing that we're looking for so often with Holy Spirit, as, as we're, we're, we're waiting somehow like we're going to be zapped or something. It may not be all shiny, but in this evil world that Paul talked about in verse 16, these simple, these ordinary things of worshiping, of giving thanks, submitting to one another, of in, uh, pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, of, of walking as the wise do, in wisdom, being careful how we walk. All, all these things, that they're, they're ordinary things, but you know what? In this world, these ordinary things, these ordinary ways we're filled up, they may be the most extraordinary thing imaginable in this lost world in which we find ourselves. And they may be incredibly extraordinary to the watching world as we fill ourselves up with the things of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. He already resides in you. He's already set up residence if you're a believer here this morning. Are you going to continue to pretend that he's not there? Are you going to allow him to do his work? Work that may at times be painful, times it'll be joyous, but it'll be precisely what you need. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. You may have heard this before. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild it. Who is it that comes in? It's Holy Spirit. He comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. 
He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts vomitably. It does not seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation. The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Do you know the work that the Holy Spirit desires to do in you? This is the work that Holy Spirit has come to do in us. Jesus, our wonderful Savior, he sent the Holy Spirit to us because it's to our advantage. This is our wonderful Savior's gift to us. As if his, his dying on the cross wasn't enough. He gives Holy Spirit to you and I. And the question that we must ask ourselves and think through is will we take advantage of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Will we take advantage of the fact that the third person of the Trinity has set up residence in our hearts? Will we? As we close, I I want to pray, not my words, but the words of some Puritans' fathers that went before, so I hope you'll excuse me in that regard. But let's pray. Let's pray together. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, you who proceed from the Father and the Son, have mercy on us when you did first hover over chaos. Order came to birth. Beauty robed the world. Fruitfulness sprang forth. Move, we pray, on our disordered hearts. Take away the infirmities of unruly desires and hateful lusts. Lift the mists and darkness of unbelief. Brighten our souls with the pure light of truth. Make it fragrant as the garden of paradise rich with every good fruit, beautiful with heavenly grace, radiant with rays of divine light. Fulfill in us the glory of your divine offices. Be our comforter, our light, our guide, our sanctifier. Take on the things of Christ and show them to our souls. Through you, may we daily learn more of our Savior's love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, beauty. Lead us to the cross. Show us his wounds. Show us the hateful nature of evil, the power of Satan. May we see our sins as the nails that transfixed him, the cords that bound him, the thorns that tore him, the sword that pierced him. Help us to find in his death the reality and the immensity of his love. Open for us 
the wondrous volumes of truth. In his words, it is finished. Increase our faith in the clear knowledge of atonement achieved, expiation completed, satisfaction made, guilt done away with, our debt paid, our sins forgiven, our person redeemed, our souls saved, hell vanquished, heaven opened, eternity made ours. O Holy Spirit, deepen in us these saving lessons, we pray. Write them upon our hearts that we may walk and that we would be sin-loathing, sin-fleeing, Christ-loving, and suffer no devil's device to beguile or deceive us. Oh, we pray this, this day, in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.